It was 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I couldn't sleep again. I was staring at a blotch of water leaking from the ceiling and onto my forehead. The blotch had begun to look like a portrait of Richard Nixon painted by someone with cerebral palsy. And right now, Nixon had a runny nose. I had been trying to remember the name of a song that was ringing in my head for the last hour. It was like the time I walked into my bedroom during a Saturday night dinner and saw my ex-wife's mother pushing her nose into her Yorkshire Terrier's anus. Saturday nights can be like that. You're either trying to get things out of your head or your head out of things. I would have checked Google for the song, but my ex-wife stopped paying my phone bill five years ago. I thought a walk would do me good, so I headed out of the former crack den I now called home. There was a yellow tape where the front door should have been, with the words, Police line, do not cross. My ex-wife always told a couple's therapist that there was no line I wouldn't cross. She also said that I was the smartest man in any room, provided the room was empty. There was loud music, coming from a hotel a few blocks away. I passed by a swarm of people in a long queue standing in front of a large sign that read Hal's Halloween Private Party. A massive Russian gentleman by the door was explaining to a drunk middle-aged man holding his t-shirt up to his neck that this gesture only worked if you were a woman. The drunken man took his t-shirt off and said that he wouldn't stand for such sexist behavior. Several people in the line started taking their tops off in solidarity and the Russian gentleman said the words situation and backup into a walkie-talkie. Not wanting to take my clothes off, I walked into the hotel. A short statured bellhop, whose head just about reached my belt buckle, led me to the inside of an elevator and tried reaching, in vain, for the button to the 21st floor. He looked at me sheepishly and motioned for me to press it. So I did. He reached his palm out towards me, as if asking for something, so I gave him what he wanted. A low five. The music playing in the elevator was similar to the one that would play in my couple's therapist's office whenever I entered. I remember wanting to ask him why he never got his AC fixed, because my ex-wife and him would both be sweating buckets when I got there. The 21st floor was dark and lit sparingly with blinding neon lights and places. There was a solitary yellow light glowing over a life-size iron statue of a wrinkled old man who had the eyes of someone who had inhaled too much asbestos. A minotaur was taking a photograph of an elf grabbing the statue's crotch. It felt like I was in an HR manager's acid trip. In the corner right outside the elevator, a man dressed as a walrus was playing a violin. He wasn't very good and kept readjusting his tusks. I thought I'd ask him if he knew the name of the song in my head, but he began clapping his flippers furiously in front of his face. I left him to enjoy his round of applause. My eyes gravitated to an unmanned table laden with pastries and sweet treats and I approached it. There were a trio of giggling girls nearby, 
dressed up as Anne Frank with fishnet stockings. My ex-wife used to constantly urge me to read Anne Frank's diary when we were together, but I was raised not to intrude on a little girl's privacy. A giant rooster approached these women, saying, I'd like to study the effects of your hands on my cock. The woman in the middle drove the end of her stilettos into his scrotum. Wobbling, he cornered me and repeated the same thing. I didn't know what to say, so I put an almond brownie into my mouth. Don't be fooled by my appearance, he continued. I can gobble like a turkey too. I couldn't talk with my mouth full, and just to make sure, I stuffed the almond brownie further down with a cherry muffin. Yes, yes, very good. Now swallow, he ordered. Behind us, two youngsters with long fashionable beards, wearing thick-rimmed glasses, and with identical bow ties and suspenders, cleared their throats. <coughs> the first one said, This is obviously a commentary on postmodern consumer culture. The other followed with, He's clearly grasped the essence of what Kafka represented in Metamorphosis. The first one quickly added, Overall, I think it's rather obtuse. They both agreed on this and walked on to inspect a bowl of potpourri. The Anne Frank women were now pointing two burly security guards towards the rooster man beside me. He turned and bolted out of the room, making a distinct clucking noise, and the security guards chased him. I turned my attention back to the assortment of desserts, but there was a man without an arm standing next to me, smiling. I've come as a Seabold employee who tried raising a vegan shark. He chuckled mischievously. He ventured incredibly close to my mouth and whispered, I lost this arm fishing out Sally's number from the garbage disposal. Me old lady dumped it there before taking the kids to her mother's. Now, Sally's a prostitute for the time being, but she really believes in my novel. He handed me a damp, crumpled piece of paper. If you call her and give her my name, Rupert, I'll get a discount. She goes by Trixie. As he walked to the bar, he twirled around and shouted. She says if I marry her, she'll only charge me half price. He then jumped and punched the air with his remaining arm. Elsewhere, people had come dressed up as imaginary creatures. The Loch Ness Monster, a transgender Easter Bunny, and a distressed woman's personal interpretation of gluten. However, the true vision of evil was an oversized monstrosity in black overalls, with a ponytail and walnut-sized warts on his face. But he was just a member of the cleaning crew. A podgy, elderly woman in a white angel outfit with wings emerged from nowhere. Hurry everybody, he's about to wake up! She screeched out of breath. She must have been someone important because all the legs in the room began marching in unison after her. I was craving something salted, so I followed them in the hope of finding something. We reached what appeared to be an observation chamber from which we could see the inside of a bright hospital-themed room. I saw a pile of snacks lying on a cafeteria trolley, 
so I let myself in. There was an aged man in a patient's gown lying on the bed in the middle of the room, like a squashed praying mantis. I recognized him immediately as the man from the statue outside, because they were both equally still. He was connected to a series of machines and a green monitor that beeped and showed a wave pattern. About a dozen people in white angelic robes surrounded his bedside, forming a divine semicircle. A serene-looking angel with a grey moustache shook the man's shoulder gently. The man stood in place and slowly opened his eyes. How? The moustached angel announced. You've been a loving family man, an ideal boss to your employees, and a gregarious human being. You had a heart attack in your sleep, and you passed on here, at this hospital. We've come to receive you, Hal, and to welcome you to heaven. The aged man blinked his eyes, bewildered, unable to take this all in. Psych! Welcome to hell! The moustached angel yelled. He ripped off his robe to reveal a stark red body with distorted rubber markings and bruises painted on and lifted up a devil's pitchfork. The other angels followed suit, each with painted scarlet bodies, each with seemingly deep scars and gashes. Two figures at the back, with rubber horns at the sides of their heads, tried igniting a couple of wooden torches sprinkled with kerosene. A flaming wick flew off the top of one of the torches and onto the curtains. The old man grabbed his chest with his hands, and within the next three seconds, three walls of the room were set ablaze. Diabolical laughter <laughs> rang out amidst the spiraling inferno. The old man's eyes continued to widen while he clutched his chest, kicked his legs about and squirmed, and the green monitor showed a flat line and a shrill, lengthy, piercing beep. Smoke was rising from the back and the devilish angels were clamoring for the exit. I don't think they minded me. In a burning room, no one ever notices a man in a torn coat eating crisps. The rotund elderly woman from before, now in a red latex bodysuit with a devil's tail, rushed to the old man's side. Help, honey! She cried. It was a prank! Baby, it was a prank! Oh God, please don't leave me! She rested her head on his now lifeless chest and continued sobbing. As I walked back out into the observation chamber, a wave of familiarity washed over me like the remnants of a memory returning from a brief swim. But my thoughts were interrupted by the rooster bursting into the observation room with the security guards in close pursuit. He headed right for the Anne Frank women at the end of the room. When he was barely a few feet away, he lunged straight at them. But the agile Anne Frank women fell to the side just in time. Nobody realized that they were standing in front of a glass window. The sound that followed made me think of the times when my frozen sirloin steak fell from my freezer onto my floor. And that's when it hit me. The song I was trying to remember was Baby Baby by Tanuki. Tanuki.